This is Shift Run Stop, a fun podcast about games and cultural stuff and comedy and interviews. It's Shift Run Stop. You're listening to it. Hello. You're listening to Shift Run Stop. Did you see that? Somebody emailed us and said, I thought the lady on your show was called Shift Run Stop for the first 10 weeks. Our guest today is Kevin Cecil. Hi, Kevin. Hello. 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 You'll know Kevin from all sorts of things, but most recently you'll have seen him in the IT crowd, where yes. he played Jen's geeky boyfriend. I did. I did to Norman, he was called. But I didn't sp- say anything, so uh, I'm sorry if I'm shattering anyone's illusions, <laughs> but I can talk. Did you find it difficult not to laugh out loud when you were... Uh, I, I think well, corpsing is the term, um, I had these amazing... The glasses, I couldn't see anything <laughs> through the glasses, and they actually kind of made your eyes go a bit funny and they're quite painful so really what I was concentrating on was was that and you're not interacting that much with the other cast you're kind of filming your bit Mm. so I didn't find it that difficult I just went into my own little (laughs) weird can't see anything zone I was always quite good at staring contests as a teenager and child, so yeah. I feel that's well, that quite good. Yeah, that practice has, has got something, <laughs> got me somewhere. And you're um, also a writer. I am. I am a writer, and I, I work with Andy Riley, mm. who uh, you have had on yes. as a guest. If you've seen Black Books, you'll know Kevin's work from that. Or recently, The Great Outdoors on BBC Four. Yeah, we just did that, uh, which was really good. Yeah, Catherine Parkinson. Yeah, and Ruth Jones, and Mark Heap, and uh, Steve Edge, and lots of other brilliant people. Mm-hmm. And did you, when we had Andy on, um, we were talking a little bit to him. I don't know if it actually made it onto the episode. We were talking to a bit, a bit to him about actually this program because he was writing it at the time when he was coming on, and how um, this program Andy, as in The Great Outdoors, about, rather yeah, than Chip yeah, and stuff. sorry, yeah, about yeah. about The Great Outdoors, and. Um, how Andy is actually quite into rambling, and it was sort of semi autobiographical Yeah, so am I, according to the BBC. <laughs> <laughs> My parents rang me up and said, we read you're really into rambling. I said, yes, I am. We go for walks all the time with a dog, where you live, in Oxfordshire. And I went, oh, yeah, yeah, we do. So, no, Andy's... I do do a lot of walking, and I have done a lot of walking in the past, uh, and, I've, and Andy's... I'm not into no wild camping. Andy will literally just go get some stuff I'm going to go camping this weekend and get a tent and some sausages and go out into the woods <laughs> with a roll of toilet paper and I'm more kind of boutique hotel mm-hmm. kind of little gastro pub kind of that kind of thing iPod dock that's the kind of that's the kind of accommodation mm-hmm. and kind of thing that I'm into so um, a really good shower so yes I'm with a really good a rainfall shower <laughs> That's the kind of that's the kind of countryside that I like, but um, but no, I, I we did, we both did a lot. We, you know, we grew up in the same town in Aylesbury, uh, where there wasn't a lot to do. Mm-hmm. Um, there was it was the biggest town in the UK without a nightclub, so you kind of were forced out into the countryside in order to kind of make your own entertainment. But we kind of we did grow grow up in and around the sticks a bit. Mm. But I like I like walking and the, one of the things that kind of attracted us as a topic was just the geekiness of it. But mm. it was interesting to me to do something about some people, a lot of whom are very kind of geeky but in a different way so they're geeky about outdoor things and they're mm. geeky about you know exercise and they're geeky about their boots and what type of rucksack that they've yeah. got and those 
kind of arguments about and different types of geeky. So some people are geeky about we've got to have the latest equipment. Some people are geeky about, well, I don't actually want to spend any money on this and you mm. can do it for free. It seemed to be, you know, a different way of doing kind of jokes about the kind of people that we know or that we are. So did you do any um, rambling at all, this preparation for writing the show? Or did you just go... Nah. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we were walking all the time. I mean, Andy, you know, we were filming, and Andy went off and camped. Everyone, everyone was going to have fish and chips on the beach, and he went and camped instead <laughs> in the woods. I mean, but uh, no, we did. We did walking. Yeah, we, we did. We did. I looked at a map. I did all sorts of <laughs> all sorts Navigation of things. Rui, what have you been up to lately? Been playing any interesting games? Yes, I played Limbo, which is quite good. Oh yeah, is that about a kid who gets killed in lots of exciting ways? Yeah, you can solve hundreds of exciting ways. You can drown him, you can <laughs> trap him with traps. But obviously, the point is not to kill him; it's to avoid oh, right. him. Okay. You know, that's, I think a lot of people reviewing this game were focusing on. Right, they misunderstood the essential yeah. point of. Yeah, the, the point is not to kill him in lots mm. of interesting ways. But it's quite good. It's very. Uh, have you seen it? No. Well, kind of. I think I've seen a demo of it on YouTube or something. I have not played it. Is it for the iPad or anything? I have got it on the Xbox. I don't know what oh. else it exists for. Retro. Yeah. <laughs> Old school. And I saw um, Going the Distance at the cinema, which is. Uh, Drew Barrymore was in it, and she, she, in an interview about it, said something like. Um, it's a buddy movie for it's like a guy's buddy movie but for girls mm. which is a really good description because it's like a bit like one of those kind of frat packs type slightly gross out films mm-hmm. do you know what I mean? like a kind of um, like uh, uh, heist super bad or something or yeah, one of those or like, the one with the American Pie Oh yeah, well, kind of. Yeah, I mean, very like the that. next generation of that. Okay. But it's also a really sort of sweet rom com. Um, but it's genuinely funny. Named at girls. It's a, uh, a, a yeah, woman, I whatever. think it must be. I think it is really. I mean, it's it is. You've seen the if you've seen the posters, it's really it looks like like Love Actually or something. But when you watch it, it's really good. And it's about a girl who um, is really good at playing uh, arcade machines in pubs. And oh, cool. she's, uh, I mean, that's not her main character point, but mm. it's something they should have developed more, I think. Right. It's very interesting. You should have focused more on that bit. <laughs> yeah, there are some shots of her playing centipede, and they invent nice. the word uh, centipedophile, which I thought was quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, which is good, so I recommend going the distance. It's lovely. I'm in computers. I'm in the But for anyone who hasn't seen The Great Outdoors, is it um, a bit like uh, Claire Balding rambling, but with more jokes? Is it like that? Well, it's Claire Balding's been very nice about the show, so I won't compare it with that. It's, yeah, it's about, well, it's about a walking group. It's a, com- it's a character comedy about seven people who are in a walking group and their kind of power struggle as to who controls the group. And each episode is a separate walk, and so you've got the same people going on a different walk, uh, and you follow the course of that walk over the episode. So it is a bit like that. It is a bit like that show on Radio 4 or the Julia Bradbury thing, but it uses that kind of form to tell a kind of a comedy. So each each one's a little... It's like a little road movie. Mm. It's different people from different walks of life, and so you've got different social classes and different ages and things. Mm. Um, But it's neither domestic nor a workplace, so that's quite interesting Mm. for us. And you worked on this with with Andy Riley. Who... um who came up with the idea and how did it come to pass? We had the idea quite a long time ago. I can't remember who 
had the idea exactly but I know I do know that it's Andy handy. had it's, it's <laughs> handy, yeah, probably, probably. <laughs> if I'm saying that it means it's handy but Andy had a book and the book was about was the London the Time Out book of London walks and it had this introduction you don't need all this fancy equipment you can just have a plastic bag and you can just have bin bags and you can just <laughs> and you can make boots out of old dustbin liners I'm exaggerating but it was very very funny and then we've since known we've since met someone or spoken to someone who knew the guy and said well this this program really reminded me of him and he said yeah 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 this is why and apparently it was brilliant guy and she she used to go on walks with him and he was a real inspirational guy but he wrote it's very funny inadvertently funny and we thought that would be a really interesting character and then it took a long time from that to working out how to actually do it because we thought it would be quite hard because there was no sets and everything and and it took a long time to sort of work out the characters but we kept coming back to it and we kind of go and talk to people about it and they go well how are you going to do that but we kind of kept and we thought we thought if we write a treatment of this is it going to really make sense people aren't going to know quite how it works so we wrote a spec script which means we wrote the first episode on off our own back and it, then we took it to a couple of producers and the BBC liked it. And we did a lot of work on it from then, you know, so still, still we chucked out one of a, co- a couple of characters and brought in some new characters. But the basics were there. And then, like, things in development take ages and ages and ages. And then they say, uh, right, well, we want free and it's going to be in a week. So you then, <laughs> then you go from this incredibly long, drawn-out process to an incredibly sort of to very quick. But, but a good thing of having done this for a few years and worked on various things, uh, being the hacks that we are, is that we do know how to work quite quickly when mm. we have to. Did you have the c- particular cast in mind when you were writing it? Uh, no, we didn't, although it was, it was the nice thing is everyone then said, you must have written this for Mark and we, Mark Heap, and we hadn't mm. um, exactly. We were just really, really lucky to get him. So, no, we didn't have any of them in, yeah. in mind. We just then... Like we're lucky, we're really, really lucky with the cast. Lots of really good people agreed to do it, and so that was great. Was it a big audition process, or did you find they slotted into place without having to be competitive about it? Oh, I didn't. We didn't. Sometimes we've done things where we were at all the auditions. Uh, we did that with Hyperdrive. We went to every single one. I think with the Great Outdoors, um, we couldn't go to the auditions because we had such. It was so tight to write the scripts. So, um, and anyway, some of the people that you don't know, audition, Ruth Jones or. From Parkinson, no. you have to kind of offer you what is you, you kind of so like quite a few of the parts were offered, mm-hmm. you know, and that's the difference. Yeah. Whereas I think in Hyperdrive, no, none of the all of the cast of Hyperdrive auditioned, or in, mm-hmm. or in the case of Nick, it might have been a meeting, and but he read for us, you know, he read for the producers. Mm-hmm. And talking about Hyperdrive, that's the thing that many people's ears will have just picked up and gone, <laughs> Hyperdrive, I remember that. <laughs> yeah, that will just be throwing things at them. <laughs> them. <laughs> depending on which side of the science fiction comedy <laughs> fence they sit on. <laughs> Just be panelling their iPod into the ground. No, uh, we were very proud of Hyperdrive, so we liked it. It was it divided people in the science fiction community, which is why I'm doing that joke, and I bet some of your listeners <laughs> are the kind of people that wrote things on message boards about it. So, but yes, we, we wrote that. We did. We created it, in fact, yes, we did. You had a great cast for that as well. We did have a brilliant cast for that. Yeah, we had Miranda Hart, oh, Kevin yeah. Eldon and all these people and Stephen Evans and Dan Polsky and Petra Massey and they're all, I think they're all brilliant. Mm. I think we were really, really lucky. And people always said had a really good cast and Miranda got nominated for a comedy award for it. Mm. So, yeah, we, they were great. 
She's gone on to do lots of things yeah. since. Yeah, then. she has. She has. We're, we're very proud of her. <laughs> you feel like you feel like when you do one of these things, especially when you create it, you're kind of like this kind of like mother lioness. <laughs> they are little cubs, and you, your episodes, your little cubs, and the, and the actors as well, because that was her first big part, and then she went and did um, not going out, and then mm. so you know she. Not, she doesn't owe us anything. She was very talented and she was going to do it all anyway. But you really, when mm. people go on and do other things, you really feel quite proud of them. Like um, Armando Nietzsche and that, that old man in that sketch on the Armando Nietzsche shows. Because <laughs> 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 we always mention the Armando Nietzsche shows, whenever we have anyone who's vaguely related to them on it. Well, we have. We've had the entire, the entire writing team now. We're working our way up <laughs> yeah. to Armando. We've had David yeah. Schneider, yeah, and so us, um, yeah. Yeah, Adam Tandy. Yeah. Um, and, and both of you. Um, but yeah, yeah, was, yeah. You mainly just did that old man, is that right? No, we did all sorts of things. We <laughs> did a lot. Of, we did a lot of no. We, on the Amanda Nietzsche shows, Andy's we spent about two years in meetings on the Amanda <laughs> Nietzsche show. So no, we did quite a bit. We, you know, I can tell you, you know, we did for we did for the uh, um, Okies on the decks for the, the opera, and we did all sorts of things. But uh, we did do that bit. You couldn't stop Andy and I writing that that and the the thug that I think Andy especially was good at writing East End Thug we, he couldn't kind of stop us of writing Hugh we'd just write Hugh all day and give him these dreams of Hugh and Amanda would go well, well you, you're, just, you're just taking old things and mixing them up with new things here. and we go yeah yeah, Amanda that's the whole point but trust us it'll work and it, and it does really work so you know the internet was in black and white that was yeah, us. Yeah. And, and there was a street party to have commemorate the um, release of Return of the Jedi so um, <laughs> that was um, that was definitely that was all us we, we wrote and, and, and some of it I'm sure Armando wrote too or David Schneider or whatever but we certainly wrote a hell of a lot of that we, mm. we enjoyed doing it so the idea of Hugh is that Armando goes round his house and just sits down for a chat and then Hugh sort of recount, regales him with tales supposedly of the olden days but it's often like stuff about modern life that yeah. an old person probably wouldn't yeah. so I mean that's like a really way of killing yeah. all the comedy of him yeah he's basically <laughs> he's doing he's just, just basically but what's really nice now is that you'll see in a lot of the modern references are quite old so you'll say his references to lettersbuyit.com and various other kind of websites and things that don't really exist anymore so it's kind of like a like a little journey into that time as well Aww. so yeah we we enjoyed doing that <laughs> was, yeah it's, it was funny we've written a lot of sketch shows and bits and pieces mm. for people because we don't i don't andy does but i don't have any other way of making money so <laughs> that's just what i do all day what are some of the other things that you've done oh what have we done we did well you, i think you mentioned we wrote quite a few episodes we wrote a, a, co-wrote eight episodes of Black Books mm. we wrote a thing called Robbie the Reindeer and the sequel of that which were quite successful animations and we wrote we used to write Spitting Image and wrote we've written for Armstrong and Miller Smack the Pony uh, we wrote some of Little Britain and um, and we've got some stuff coming up in Harry and Paul's new series oh yeah on BBC Two, with there's a character, one character that we've written, and there's, that's one? in it four times. He's a corrupt European Prime Minister, and he's the translator. And that's got to be Paul Whitehouse playing that part. Yeah, he's playing for Prime Minister, and uh, and Harry's playing for translator. And then there's a relationship with a very kind of awkward British Prime Minister. Um, so hopefully it works, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. Yeah. So you've, I mean, you've literally worked on. Uh, 
pretty much everything that's been funny in, on uh, British telly in the well, last 20 years. No, no, I mean, clearly not. But, I mean, no, we've been very, very lucky, and we've written for lots of things, you know, whenever we've got the chance. We kind of see it as sometimes we sort of see someone and we go, oh, we'd like to have a go on them. <laughs> and then you have to kind of wait until they let you. And do you generally work with Andy Riley, or do you often spin out on your own as well? Not often, no. Um, Andy's very busy doing books and stuff, so at the moment I, I am doing a bit of spinning. Um, but generally, the big things that we've written, we've written together. And the other thing we've written is, um, there's a film coming out next year called Romeo and Juliet, which is a um, CGI depiction of Romeo and Juliet told with garden gnomes and garden ornaments. And uh, Elton John's done the music for it, and oh. um, and we, that's taken a long time. It's taken like nine years or something. We've, it wasn't our idea, but we've written a lot of it, mm-hmm. and so, um, but with lots of other people, because CGI films are the most collaborative form of media. Various, just form of writing there is. It's just there's nothing else quite like it because you write and then the storyboard artists change it and then it goes back to you and then they get in other writers and they write and then it goes and then they screen it and then they go back to you again and and it just goes on and it's a very long well this was a particularly long process because it kind of stopped and started and stopped again but um but having seen it recently um no it's good fun and 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 it should be good hopefully so um, that Romeo and Juliet. When does that come out? That comes out in. It comes out in February in the states, and I don't think they've agreed on a release date here. But um, it's got um, uh, lots of really. It's got Michael Caine in it, mm-hmm. and it's got Emily Blunt, who's amazingly good yeah. in it, and James McAvoy, uh, and Matt Lucas, and and so lots of very very good Stephen Merchant so um, so no it's got really good people in it and some good some great Elton John songs from the past <laughs> and the new ones too so uh, so yeah so we'll see we'll see and it's going to be a 3D inevitably oh. <laughs> it hadn't even been invented when we started <laughs> It's snack time. Yeah, summer, summer's now behind us. We're recording this the first week of September. And what does that mean, Rue, if you cast your mind back to this time last year? Uh, something about autumn. <laughs> it means it means Christmas snacks are starting to appear. Oh. <laughs> like, yeah, Halloween comes close. Halloween no, no. Well, uh, the, I, think, I think they lay down a foundation of Christmas on the shelves <laughs> and then put Halloween in front of that. And then when the Halloween is eaten, you go, oh, it's Christmas time. <laughs> What has the summer left us with? What legacy will summer 2010 be reminded for? Um, Previously, um, I think you slagged me off for bringing in some ice cream-based pies that weren't very nice. The shitty, tooty, fruity Mr Kipling. I didn't know they weren't going to be very nice because I based my previous assessment on Mr Kipling's Neapolitan pies. Now, Neapolitan, of course, is snack shorthand for a combination of vanilla, chocolate... And strawberry. Put a hole in his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no. Like, yeah, um, mysterious brown square on top. That, that's the chocolate bit, and then okay. there's a, like, and I mean, oh, the thing right. I don't, the thing I don't like about the Bakewell is normally there's a kind of like armoury layer. Mm. They got rid of that. Mm. It's just all delicious strawberry and chocolate, and this is um, brilliant. So thumbs up for that. Yeah. Let's let's see let's see what other summer pudding inspired confections. Mister um Mister Krispy Kreme. <laughs> uh, I'm not going through these alphabetically, although it might be. Uh, Mr. Krispy Kreme came up with uh, the usual sort of slightly nonsensical summer specials, I think these are called, on the, the Tesco's chart. But this, I mean, yeah, if you want to describe it, see if you can guess what flavour Krispy Kreme this is. A donut and a meringue. 
Is it a, uh, yeah. a lemon meringue pie donut? It's a lemon meringue pie donut. Oh, how I exciting mean, is that? Rose, Rose manfully slicing this up while holding the, the MP3 recorder. Ah, wow, this is quite this. good actually. Last year, Krispy Kreme did a key lime pie that wasn't bad. You can have that bit, that bit there, Kev. I don't know if you've got much. Mmm. Mmm. Oh, I'm happy. It's quite good. It is a bit lemony. Mm-hmm. Quite sweet. Wasn't even time to take a photo of that one <laughs> before. Um, <laughs> We're hungry. The most exciting thing about the lemon meringue pie. And it tastes like all Krispy Kreme um, donuts mm, do yeah. a little bit. Mm. Um, is how they got that lemon meringue effect on the top. Yeah, yeah. it has got a kind of crust, white, like a meringue, a meringue fake outside. Mm. Anyway, this one here is looking. This one here is looking a bit more to the future. I learned about through the, the, these through through the, uh, the blog of, of someone who I think might listen to the show, Chris Heathcote. Hello, Chris. And, um, and he'd, he'd taken a photo of what he described as whoopie pies. Do you read the kind of Marks and Spencer magazines, Kev? Do you know what a whoopie pie is? No. <laughs> <laughs> it's not an invention of my own. On, on adult photo groups. <laughs> according, to the, according to the ladies' publications, the whoopie pie is this year's new yeah. cupcake. And whereas a, cup, a, a cupcake is quite difficult to eat, notoriously, because it's got, it's got cream on it and it sort of goes all over your face. So a whoopie pie is like a little sandwich. Like those kind of ice cream sandwiches you mm-hmm. get. Yes, but it's, it's like got... a clam. It's not sure what it is. It's like a cake a child might make at school or something. Yeah, mm. it's a cross between a biscuit and a cake. Mm. It's not bad. I mean, I, I was never a huge cupcake c- consumer. Uh, in the past, sometimes you'd be given them at like fancy book launches <laughs> and things like that. Would you? <laughs> Would you? Is that just the life, the life I lead? I was at that book launch. And um, they did. If you'd like to try the whoopie pie, then uh, Tesco currently have these on offer. I think they're they're about one pound twenty five for four. Um, normally they're twice that price. But like you know, Marks and Spencer also, also do a range. They're available in a range of flavours. Get them while they're cheap. What I also like to say for the end of these little snack roundups is um, is either something either something extraordinarily delicious or something extraordinarily odd. <laughs> Once again, it's it's down to the panel to decide what this is. Um, Morrison's. Wow. I spotted this in Morrison's. They had, I think, they had a, a Neapolitan dessert in a tub, which is obviously you know, chocolate, vanilla, um, a strawberry, um, something like Merry Berry or something that was a kind of berry flavoured one. This one, they've taken the, they, they've taken their inspiration from the world of confectionery. This is their cola bottle dessert. What's this yellow sticker? That's, that's, that's was one pound. Now twenty nine that's, that's why it's important we're having it now. Um, so hang on, I'll, I'll see if I can get some space. It's, it's got wow. two. I mean, just starting from oh the top, God. it's got two quite nasty looking cola bottles. <laughs> Resting on the top of the creamy Maybe bit. Maybe you'll be pleasantly surprised. Like dewy sort of sweaty residue on the top. <laughs> sweaty cola bottles is the topping they've gone for. Oh, mm. and they're just two wow. like, next to each other. So Let's what, cut that in half. What, what actually goes <laughs> in? Like evil trifle. It, it is like an evil trifle. When you read the description, hang on, let's see what it says. It's a cream mousse with a cola-flavoured sauce, chocolate sponge cubes, and finished with a cola-flavoured gum sweet. Mm. And, you see, I previously tried the, the, the berry one that had, I don't know, a little jelly raspberry on the top, and I thought, oh, that would be nice, and then I ate it, and I went, oh, God. 
God, this is horrible. Um, <laughs> and then you tried the cola bottle. Yeah, one. the cola bottle one. Actually, the idea of having a trifle oh, that God. is that is cola and chocolate sponge <laughs> flavoured is surprisingly successful. And that was my favourite bit. The like where where Morrison's have, have gone tragically wrong is is not putting a proper cola bottle on top. No. Pretend ones. It's no, it's really kind of, not. Like, don't put how, pretend cola bottle on top. Put on the top of that. No, not a cola. <laughs> <laughs> that costs too much. Well, I don't know. I mean, you can't. <laughs> Make one out of some kind of foam. I mean, presumably you can't eat normal. <laughs> I'll do a little sick. Can you make it into cola bowl? <laughs> Put that on the top of them. I don't know if you can make it. I, I think the problem with a proper cola bottle is you couldn't eat it with a spoon. Whereas this one will slice up quite quite appealingly, as, as we've proven. But doesn't taste anything like a cola bottle would. So anyway, that's and you, um, this is a from this is from Morrison's. This is from Morrison's. If like um, do do take the time sometimes to explore Morrison's own brand range. Is it, is it part of like some sort of no frills range? <laughs> it's, like, it's so functionally presented. There's no I, attempt to make it. I would recommend people get these quite quickly. (laughs) (laughs) I do not believe they will be a permanent part of the product range. This one was reduced. Morrison's also do a range of uh, sweet-inspired squashes, like that you can dilute for drinks, Mm -hmm. um, of of which the one I haven't even dared try yet is uh, describes itself as marshmallow squash. Um, and it's it's pink. And the other good thing about it is on the on the label for Morrison's marshmallow squash, it it, it proudly pro- proclaims no added sugar. And you go, yeah, well, who'd want to add sugar other, other than the natural sugar that occurs in the um, in the marshmallow when, when it's when it's picked, of course. Uh, so yeah, okay, we've all been criticising this trifle, but we have so just been tucking into it. You see, oh, there's a little bit left. Thanks, Dave, for the the, uh, interesting knockdown price Morrison snacks. Good snacking. Um, Shall we ask Kev about this massive book? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got in this massive book (laughs) called Prime Minister You Wanted to See Me, A History of Weekending by Ingries and Justin Lewis, which is... I... We, like more or less everyone of our generation, began writing on Weekending, mm. um, which is an amazing programme. Um, some people say it was amazingly good, some people say it was amazingly bad, but it was amazing because it, it went on for such a long time and also it so many writers came through it. Do, do the theme song, Kev. Part of Fears 2 by um, The Associates was the theme song for a long time, and then it became something else. Uh, and these people brought up this book, which is supposed to be a history of weekending, and it's got a little bit of that in, in the beginning, but what it actually has is every sketch was ever on with... Who wrote it? And so it's like wisdom for comedy writers. Does it have the content of the sketch? It just no, no, no. It doesn't have the content. No, why would you want that when you could just have a list? <laughs> the tantalising title so is, that have, is often even more entertaining. So you can find these different things. So Clamp a Tramp, you can have these different, you know, you can find out who wrote it, what day it was, and you can then look up. Like, these are cross interests here, <laughs> Yeah, so, so, so here we go. Got, we've got KCAB here. Yeah. Um, so you can tell us what, what, what some of these these rip yeah, exactly. Of the past. So here we go. We've got we've got Alistair Murray, Ben Moore, and Danny O'Brien, 
who were working there. That's Al Murray, the pub landlord. Mm. And Danny O'Brien, the internet's yeah, Danny O'Brien. Yeah, the internet's Danny O'Brien. Here we and, go. Give us and song. Ben Moore, right. the yeah. talented one-man show performer. Yeah. He should get on. He's a great guy. Uh, and then Harry Hall, he was... right. So Richard Herring and Stuart Lee was on the same show. Uh, Harry Hill, as Harry Hall, because Harry Hill was called, still called Harry Hall then. Ben Cecil and Andy Riley. Yeah, and you can just look up all these different people and find out when they first started writing. So Maddie Nooch is there. Wow. It's just... This is my one here, Underpants Joyriding. There we go. So we've got <laughs> Underpants Joyriding. Uh, right, it's, it's credited to it, no, it's 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 and we can say that it was one minute 33 and it was on Friday, the 13th of September 1991, which was the day that our career started because we had a sh- sketch about joyriding in it too. I'm I nearly crushed like. the car when I when I heard it. This, this book feels like a bit of a labor of love. Oh, I, I imagine it was, yeah. No, I don't think you'll see it at any airport. <laughs> You wouldn't want to buy it just before getting on a plane. It's quite big. Um, I don't think you would like this book very much unless either A, you wrote for Weekending, or B, you were very obsessed Mm. with Weekending. Presumably, the audience for this book and the people who are buying it, um, of those two groups that you just mentioned, the, the former is probably just as big as the latter. I mean, yeah. what they were. <laughs> well, the, the former was uh, the people who've written for it, and just yeah. based on the size of this book, yeah. Like, yeah. it would probably made its money well, back just well, people who Well, you say that, but looking down, a lot of the same num- names are coming up each week. Um, we can see, so. Yes, I mean, there's a, I had a lot of writers. Well, here we go, we've got an index of writers here. Whoa. So a lot of writers, but maybe not as many as you might... Oh, oh yeah. I don't know, there's a lot of people. It's sort of a training ground weekending, they say, don't they? You go and um, you have to do a bit of weekending. You certainly used to have to, yes. It was a bit like national service. And it was amazing. And anyone could come in off the street, <laughs> literally off the street, and they wouldn't let you do it now, come into the BBC, get a pass, come into the building and stand in this room and basically kind of have to shout out what their idea was. Mm. And the best ideas had already been taken by the commission writers. And then the non-coms had to do it. It was really exciting. And it was a, it'd be a great film because it was so stupidly competitive. And if you got a sketch on, it was the best thing in the world and you got £23. <laughs> and then if it got on the world service, you got a little bit more money again. It was making a loss from the train fares, but... It was incredibly exciting. And this is how everyone started. You know, that was, that was what you did, you <laughs> darling. You no, know, this what, is was what was <clears throat> passed down. For, was you, you went and you started on weekending. And the alternative was to start on the news headlines, but that was much kind of broader. That's what Russell Davis did. He did the news headlines yeah. for Roy Hard. Yeah, so yeah. that was a broader kind of thing. What's the equivalent of, uh, of weekending for, for people now, Kev? Or do, or do you think there should be one? Newsjack. Um, yeah, Newsjack, you're allowed to write for. Uh, the Now Show, a bit, but it's much harder for new writers to write for that. But it was kind of replaced by things like The Now Show. But Newsjack takes on people. And I think, rec- is it recorded for training purposes? One mm. of the others mm. takes on uh, new writers. If people want to write for radio or TV, I would always um, recommend starting to write for radio because you get loads of practice, things get made much quicker and so you can learn by your mistakes and you can work with lots of people that are coming up through the industry and that's really, really good. And and those shows, um, you know, check on the BBC Writers Room website, which is really good for telling you what shows are accepting new material. I feel responsible in a small way mm. for, um, for Justin Long's career because um, he's the guy from... Um, 
well he's the guy that's in Going the Distance that Drew Barrymore film I was talking about he's like the love interest mm-hmm. but he's also he's kind of like a geeky slightly Jewish looking um, if you know what I mean yeah, I do. Um, that that kind of uh, actor yeah. and and he's only just recently sort of been catapulted into the realms of sex pistol uh, mm-hmm. sex pistol sex what's the word I'm looking for symbol. sex symbol yeah. I kind of know the editor of um, the Observer magazine and she also, well, deputy or whatever, and she used to edit The Observer Woman when it still existed, which mm-hmm. wasn't anymore. And there was a thing in The Observer Woman, um, until it closed last year sometime, uh, where they had, in, every week, they would have a thing called The Chart of Lust. And um, to, because I know her, she would sort of text around everyone and go, has anyone got any uh, <laughs> nominations for The Chart of Lust? And I said, oh, you've got to have Justin Long, because he was in, I think it was at the time he was in um, Drag Me to Hell, Remember that? I've seen that. No. It's um, it's cool. also quite good. Mm. Yeah, it's it's a sort of um, really shocking horror film, mm. but really funny and just very very well done. <laughs> and yeah, it's re- and I recommend that film as well. But he's the boyfriend in it. Um, and yeah, so I just went oh, yeah, for Justin Long, and he was. And then I opened the paper, of course, following Sunday. There's Justin Long's little face, and it says, you know, we like we like geeky looking whatever. And did you feel um, a little sort of glow of? Uh, like a mother duck, like you, yes. you, were, you were nurturing this, yes. this talent. Yeah, exactly. And now, and now presumably, somebody in Hollywood reads Observer Woman magazine. Yeah. <laughs> it's given him a job. Exactly. Brilliant. Well, it all helps, doesn't it? It gets yeah. them in the public consciousness. So I'm glad that Justin's doing well, and I hope that one day he will pay the favour. I'm Kim Plarite, and you're listening to Shift Run Stop. The, um, getting your friends to bring some fruit over from their plantation that you might not have previously had. I had to get a friend. I didn't have any peaches in my uh, in my Animal Crossing. Uh, I had lots of apples and pears. So my friend yeah. came over and she she had loads of, loads of peaches and she came on and uh, dropped dropped a peach off and then I, I buried it and made yeah. lots of peach trees. Yeah. It was great. You got coconuts? Yes. You got coconuts. Good. They like the seashore. They do like the seashore. I think they only grow there. Mm. Yeah. They, they do. look really lost. What are you talking about? Basically, it it's boring. this game. It is, you know, it is really boring. It's for most. You get really bored. You can spend quite a long time at night looking for these bugs that grow on, that go to the coconut trees because they're worth quite a lot of money. Because you're basically trying to pay off your mortgage on your house. <laughs> you have to pay this money to this raccoon called Tom Nook, and he's kind of got you under a barrel, and you have to do that. And every time and you pay off your mortgage, it just. Gives you a, a big fucking extension. Yeah, a bigger one. <laughs> and he says, he says, ah, oh, but you're going to pay me even more money. That's okay, isn't it? And you go, no, it isn't okay. I was quite happy with my house that yeah. size. It's amazing. It's kind of quite pastoral and peaceful, and it's actually quite mm. relaxing. At the same time, incredibly consumerist. You can go in the Wii version. You can go to the city and go to this kind of like, go to this shop called Gracie Grace and buy a, a table made out of biscuits for about a million pounds <laughs> and it's just all this you've got to have the latest outfit it's a bit it's a bit like that but it's, it's, mm. it's kind of sweet and you, your friends what's nice is your friends can come and visit your town or you can go and visit their town and there's nothing to do when you get there but it's kind of nice and you catch bugs and fish and you put them in a museum <laughs> and you dig up fossils <laughs> and they turn into dinosaurs. And you find random stuff and then you sell it at the shop. Yeah. And then you buy things to decorate your little it's house. Just yeah. It's just encouraging people to be mad. <laughs> How to be mad. Make, make your own museum in your house. That's normal. And it started as a 
as a game in Japan on the Nintendo 64, then it was a game on the GameCube, and then on the DS, and then on the Wii. Nintendo had the great idea of not changing it at any point, <laughs> just selling exactly the same game over and over again. Kevin Cecil, um, writer, girl, uh, boyfriend of Catherine Parkinson in the IT crowd, <laughs> not real life. Um, many talented man. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you, it's been an honour. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>